Uh, if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 1. It's uh, page 1158 in the, the Red Pew Bibles. Tonight uh, we are starting a new series looking at what is widely recognized as the most difficult uh, to understand of, of all Paul's letters, uh, which kind of begs the question, why are we looking at it? Uh, which is a, a good question. But alongside the fact that it is a tough read, Second Corinthians is also an essential read. Uh, let me quote the opening comments from a relatively recent commentary on this letter. No New Testament letter, these, this is a personal opinion, obviously, of someone, no New Testament letter is more needed by the church today than Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians. And the person that, that said this, wrote this, goes on says, does it scratch where the modern church itches? Not necessarily. For a church is not always conscious of its need. Its message cuts very deeply. To study it and apply its teaching can be very uncomfortable. But if the contemporary church is to be true to its Lord, this cries out to be done. Those are strong words, but let me explain why we're going to spend five Sunday evenings between now and Christmas, so obviously not all in a row, but five Sunday evenings looking at various aspects and parts of this letter Uh, If you were to kind of identify a, or maybe even the main theme that that runs through the letter, like a bit of a thread that runs right through it. Now, there are lots of themes that run through this letter, but if you were to identify the main one, then it would be, and many have suggested, that it is service. It's all about Christian service, what it means, or more importantly, what does it look like to serve others? And to be dying to serve others, hence the title for this new series. Because what Paul does here amidst all the technical language that he employs at times and the sort of mind-bending concepts that he does introduce us to is he paints a picture of a Christ-like life of service. And based on the example of Jesus and drawing from his own experience, he makes it clear that the true Christian service is submissive. It, it's humble or it's humbling. It's costly. It's sacrificial. It's alternative. It's countercultural. It was then. It still is now, maybe even more so now. But above all else, service is vital for the church and in the church, which is why, referring back to last month, one of the core components of this church's vision is that we would be an intentional place of serving. The other thing that's sort of worth saying about 2 Corinthians is that it's an intensely personal letter. Paul has to talk about himself a lot. Not because he kind of wants to up his profile or his image, but because he finds himself under attack, under constant scrutiny. There's a, there's a group or a bunch of false teachers who are denying or certainly openly questioning his authority. And therefore, part of the reason behind writing this letter was to defend his position as an apostle, as someone who actually had the right to write someone who had the right to speak into the lives of Christians or into the life of a local church. And therefore, it's, it's in this letter that you discover Paul goes way out of his way 
to list his ministry credentials. And again, it's not something that Paul would appear to be overly comfortable doing in light of the fact that he primarily identifies himself as a servant. But nevertheless, he realizes, I've got to do it. And so, for example, in chapter 6 and in the space of seven verses in that chapter, Paul actually lists 28 reasons why people should consider his ministry credible. Although much of what Paul actually refers to in that chapter could be considered as ministry failures by his opponents rather than ministry successes. We will come back to that chapter during this series, but it's helpful right from the outset to kind of get a sense of the things that Paul drew attention to about himself in order that he could give himself credence to speak. And I suppose this is one of the reasons why we should continue to listen to him 2,000 years later. And so he refers to, and let me just quote some of the 28 reasons, he refers to his troubles his hardships, his distress, his beatings, his imprisonments, the riots, the sleepless nights, the hunger, the poverty. As I say, at face value, those all appear deeply unattractive experiences. Maybe not the kind of thing you would draw people's attention to if you were arguing your case. And yet, as far as Paul was concerned, they are the sort of things that go with the territory. This is what is involved in Christian service. You're going to suffer. You're going to be up against it. You're going to find it tough at times. If you're going to be a servant of God, if you're going to be an ambassador for Christ, again, another, another title that he describes Christians as, then the abuse and the ridicule and the misunderstanding, according to Paul, are par for the course. So with all of that as a kind of backdrop and introduction, yes, it's a difficult letter. It's an essential letter. It's a personal letter. And it's a letter that promotes Christian service. With all of that in mind, we're going to look at the opening seven verses plus a couple of verses from chapter four this evening. And we're going to think, first of all, about who we are. Two things. We're saints and we're sufferers. It's not the land of saints and scholars saints and sufferers and then we're going to look at who God is and we're going to highlight or we're going to re-highlight as Paul has already done for us so helpfully two key aspects of God's nature and character and then finally we'll think about what we need to do or what we're called to do in the midst of the inevitable mess and difficulties of this life now as with most New Testament letters second Corinthians starts with a greeting, and and here it is. Let me read it to you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Acacia, grace to you and priests from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice that it's addressed to the church in Corinth. Yes, this is the second letter he's written to them. But it's with all the saints throughout this region and elsewhere. And I know I've mentioned this before, but referring to Christians as saints is is common practice in the New Testament. 
Time and time again, those who have been called and chosen and forgiven and redeemed and empowered by God are described as saints. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, they all refer to Christians as saints right from the word go. And some translations like the NIV, if that's what you've got in front of you, have replaced saint with holy people. Which is fair enough because that's what it means. But I want to stick with saint. Because I think many of us struggle to see ourselves that way. Or in that light. And I see some of you smiling at me. And therefore I wanted to take the opportunity tonight to remind us that that is our true identity in Christ. If you are a Christian here this evening, you are a saint. Now, I've no doubt that a few of us, or there wouldn't be too many of us, who would want to walk out of here this evening, head home to our families and friends, go into work in the morning and say to our colleagues, did you know that I am a saint? And yet, if you are a Christian, that is who you are. That is what you are. And one of the reasons why I honestly believe this is so important, why this matters, is because how we see ourselves often determines how we behave and how we act and how we react and how we speak and how we engage and how we live. If I can see myself through this lens, then I reckon it could have a positive impact on the choices I make and the decisions I take. I am a saint, therefore I'm going to live accordingly. I'm going to live distinctively different I'm going to be godly I'm going to be holy I know that some Christians are far more likely to describe themselves as and I've said this before as sinners saved by grace and we are but I wonder sometimes if it might not be more accurate and helpful now to describe ourselves as saints who sadly still haven't a sin It's a shift in how we see ourselves. But yet when I read God's word, whenever the letters are written and addressed to Christians, the writers say, to the saints. So if you're a Christian here this evening, you're a saint. Let's move on. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to draw attention to the note of intimacy that that Paul actually injects here and and we often miss this one because he wants to kind of tell us that God's not distant. God's not remote. God's not far off. This is not God the Father. He actually says it's God our Father. So he's up close. This is personal God. Christianity is, after all, not a religion. It's a relationship. Paul wants to affirm that with his readers. But let's pick it up at verse 3, and we'll read down to verse 7. And as we often do here at Windsor, we'll stand for the public reading of God's word, if that's okay. So let's stand together. Paul's already read, or Paul Johnson, that is, has already read this verse to us. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And then if you just flick over to verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Grab a seat. After an initial greeting, Paul begins the body of this letter on a high note of praise because right from the word go he does want to clarify who God is he wants to highlight certain aspects of God's nature and character that need to be remembered as far as he's concerned these are these are aspects of who God is that must be celebrated and which in turn will then kind of influence everything he's going to say from here on and in the rest of his letter so it's really important to put this out here And what Paul declares and what he affirms is this. God is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And and maybe for some people tonight, that kind of has been as much as you've needed to hear tonight. And the way Paul has led us in our praise and drawn attention to this, the way he has prayed, and maybe just hearing it read from God, that's as much as some of you just need to know. God's the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. You see, Paul is about to speak into the reality of suffering and trouble. That's what he's going to talk about. He's going to go on to talk about it in a lot of detail. And therefore, what he wants to stress and sing or scream at the top of his lungs is, listen, you're not left to confront and handle and deal with these realities on your own. These realities that impact every single one of us. You're not on your own. You're not left to yourself. But you worship and you serve a God who is the father of compassion, God of all comfort. Or to grab a kind of similar truth from the Psalms, God's our refuge and he's our strength. He is this ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present. God is there with us and for us right in the midst of our difficulties. He's not removed. He's not oblivious to what you're going through at the moment. His heart breaks as your heart breaks. God cares about those things you're dealing with tonight. And compassion isn't about feeling sorry from a distance. That's not compassion. Compassion is about active engagement. The good Samaritan had compassion on the guy who was left for dead at the side of the Jericho Road. But what did it cause him to do? It caused him to draw alongside, to roll up his sleeves and to get involved in another's suffering. 
That's compassion. It's not just feeling sorry for someone. God is the father of compassion. He's alongside you. He's ministering to you. He is an ever-present help. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, as it says elsewhere in Scripture. Near. And many of us have, have proved that and are proving that. And I can think of more than a few individuals and families who are proving it right now. And some of you will know who I am thinking about particularly. And even though they find themselves in difficult places and going through dark valleys and painful experiences, God has been and is there. Right there. Actively involved. Near. Close. In. Somehow strengthening. Somehow comforting. Somehow sustaining them. And here in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul praises this aspect of God's nature. And then, I'm just reading on, who comforts us in all our troubles. I think it's interesting. It's, it's all our troubles. And as I say, given what Paul's about to go on and talk about in his own life, the hardships and the beatings and the hunger and the, pro- the poverty, you see, clearly he was able to write this with integrity. He could write this with integrity because he had experienced God's compassion and comfort in the bleak moments of life. The low points of his ministry. Now I know it, it, it goes, or it almost goes without saying, but let me say it anyway, that there is no guarantee, there's no blanket promise in Scripture that the God of compassion and the God of all comfort will always deliver and save us from our trouble. Or that somehow God will keep us immune from trouble. Or that he intends us to live without it and free from it as some of the sort of prosperity, health and wealth type gospel nonsense seems to imply at times. What we find here is this incredible promise that God comforts us in our troubles. Not delivers us from them, not saves us, makes us immune to them, but comforts us in. They're just a fact of life, a reality of life in a broken, fallen world. And so this evening, if if you go away again with very little else, please know that whatever you're going through and alongside the questions you have and the anxiety you feel, and I know there are many people here and I know many people that we all know and that's, that's where they're at. Questions, anxiety. But what I hope they will know is that the God that we worship and serve is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. And as we, we sat next door on Wednesday night and Roy led our, our prayer meeting and we were remembering various people who are facing all sorts of challenges. And some of those challenges are to do with people's health. And some of them are to do with people's families. And some of them are to do with people's employment or lack of employment. And some of it was to do with people's future or uncertainty regarding their future. 
And there are other things we couldn't share because people are in a very dark place. And as I sat there on, on Wednesday night, in light of, kind of what I was reflecting on for, for this evening, that was my prayer for them. Because sometimes I just I kind of don't know exactly what to pray for people. But that was my prayer. God, would they know that you're the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort? Now, I know some of you might be thinking, well, hang on a minute, David, what, what's all this got to do with service? <laughs> well, look at the next line. Because God comforts us in our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see, we become conduits of comfort. We receive it. And then we let it flow through us to others. It's not just for personal and private consumption. We are encouraged to minister, to serve others in light of the comfort we have received, to pass it on, to pay it forward. As someone wrote many, many years ago, God does not comfort us to be comfortable, but to make us comforters. And sometimes we, we, we find it hard to explain, well, exactly how does God comfort us? I mean, what does it look like whenever the unseen God is showing us compassion? That's a fair question to ask. Well, for me, this verse, this line from Paul reminds us that God's comfort can and often is given and received through one another. That as we sit with those who are suffering, that as we listen, that as we put an arm round, that as we visit, that as we invest time with, that as we send a text or write an email, write a card, as we pray with, as we pray for, we are tangibly demonstrating, fleshing out the comfort of God to others. We are conduits of comfort. What does it feel like to know God is comforting? Sometimes it's, it's what it feels like is when another person draws alongside and just comforts us. And I want to ask you to do something. And with not long left. I want to ask you to do something for a moment. Now don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to speak to anyone. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to move. I just want to give you an opportunity for some personal reflection. And here's what I want you to do. I'd like you to think of a time. Either ages ago, recently or currently. Whenever God used someone who had gone through sorrow and suffering to draw alongside and minister to you. Okay. Just think of someone for a moment who'd gone through stuff and who drew alongside you. And God used them to comfort you. And now here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take a moment to thank God for his comfort expressed through that person. And then one further question. What trouble are you facing right now? And how might God use you to bring comfort 
and encouragement to someone who is facing or will face the same pain in the future. What trouble or troubles are you facing right now? And how might God use you to bring comfort and encouragement to someone who is facing or will face the same pain in the future? As Paul continues to write, he then makes the point that so much of his suffering was for Christ. And and Paul, who was leading our service, has already drawn attention to this. That the reason that he was imprisoned, the reason that he was beaten, the reason that he was hungry, the reason that he found himself in poverty and faced angry crowds was because of his commitment to Jesus, his commitment to the gospel, to the church. But the more he suffered for Jesus, the more God comforted him. And then, as verse 6 says, he is now able to comfort others whenever they are going through a similar experience. And what was Paul's desire and longing for these Corinthian Christians? Well, look at the last line of verse 6. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. And that's what it kind of is all about. It's about endurance. Endurance in the midst of mess. Endurance in the midst of suffering is a real challenge. But as we are comforted by God and as we comfort one another, we can learn to patiently endure. So you don't have to give up. You don't have to lose heart. You don't have to pack it in. You don't have to walk walk away. And just to link this to something that Paul goes on to say in chapter 4, yes, you're pressed on every side by troubles, but listen, you're not crushed. You're perplexed, but you're not driven to despair. You're hunted down, but you're never abandoned by God. And you might get knocked down, but you will not be knocked out. So Christians are saints and sufferers, or are saints who suffer. But because our God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, we can patiently endure, and as a result, we can comfort others. And that's what Christian service looks like, or at least the one thing I want us to really go away with from here this evening and think about. How can I walk out of here and go and comfort others with the comfort God has shown me? It's a privilege. It's a high calling. But it's a Christ-like life of service we're trying to embrace.